What we're talking about here is the, the category, at least as Gartner has defined it, of identity threat detection and response. So focusing on protecting the identity systems that perform the foundation of what is really modern security architecture. Yeah, and I, I think that's, and you've got a lot of support for that today. Uh, just that, given that example is, I think almost everyone I talk to today uh, is in agreement that identity is the key going into 2023, 2024, maybe even to 2025. Perimeter security is great, it's your network security and all that, but your perimeter has almost been blown up with the ability to let people from everywhere outside of your network in. So identity really does become your endpoint in a lot of ways. And thus, you need to protect those identity systems, um, either from people maliciously taking control of people's identities or from the entire identity system being shut down. And most people don't realize that. And I'm actually guilty of this in my past lives is I never focused on the identity system being not available because if it's not available, no one can get virtually any application or any function within the entire company, which really puts you out of business. And uh, guess what? The bad guys know this. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP Podcast. Security managers are looking at their 2023 budgets, and it's not going to be an up year. There are the fiscal realities of what you could spend versus the operational reality of ever-increasing cybercrime. According to the Statista Cybersecurity Outlook, the global cost of cybercrime is expected to surge in the next five years, rising from $8.44 trillion this year to $23.84 trillion by 2027. That's an average of anywhere from 21% to 36% yearly growth. How do CISOs navigate this narrow path and prioritize their spending? Joining me today is Jim Doggett. Jim was Chief Technology Risk Officer for AIG, the Chief Security Officer and Chief Technology Risk Officer for Kaiser Permanente, and Managing Director at J.P. Morgan Chase. He also spent 27 years at Ernst & Young, where he helped build the company's cybersecurity practice from the ground up. Jim is also CISO of Semperis, where I have the privilege of working with him on a regular basis. Welcome, Jim, and happy holidays. Thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure to join your podcast today. We're uh, we're both of us down in Texas and uh, just getting to experience this latest or the big uh, the big first chill of the year as we're all uh, locked down in our houses watching the the temperatures go down. So yeah, that's uh, always interesting because a lot of folks are used to having cold weather, but here in Texas we don't get a lot of cold weather and. It's always interesting when you have to spend time covering your pipes and doing all this preparation that most people take for granted because it's built into their house. But down here, we just don't get that. Right. That's true. So um, so we're talking about uh, budget situations, budgeting for 2023. In your experience, when you're faced with a decreasing budget situation, and I'm sure you've had many of those in your career, 
what strategy do you take uh, to build a budget correctly? Yeah, that's um, again, uh, in today's times, I think most CISOs are starting to, to operate this way anyway, but it, it all comes down to risk. And by risk, I mean what security issues potentially can harm the company the most, not security the most, not operations, but the company. And if you always focus on it, what could hurt the company the most, you typically will make the right decisions on where to allocate your spending dollars. And quite frankly, we ought to be doing this anyway, regardless of whether our budgets are tight or whether they're not. Historically, I think uh, a whole lot of us have gotten away with selling this fear, uncertainty and doubt and you know, saying the sky is going to fall if you don't give me more money and let me do everything I want to do. And I think in today's time, CISOs, they're being held accountable at a far greater level than they probably were in the past, which means we have to we have to spend our dollars wisely. And anything we spend a dollar on, we ought to be able to demonstrate that it has reduced risk in some way to the company. Well, um, so for those of us that are not, um, for the IT pros and other folks that are not familiar with how how you do a risk analysis, can you talk about a little little bit about a, a, the basics of a risk matrix and how you how you do this triage, this prioritization? Yeah, it's good. It actually is, I think, very straightforward. I always look at it in the simplest way. You can create incredibly complex mathematical formulas to try to compute it, but I think you're far more effective just looking at it. What is the probability that a event's going to happen that will hurt the company? So what's the likelihood or probability? And the second is, what would the impact be? In other words, how much harm could it be? So let's take an example of, I'll I'll give a couple examples that might be useful. Uh, One, let's just say uh, a typical, someone breaks in and steals a bunch of credit card numbers. Um, Probability of that happening in today's times, still pretty high. It happens to people every day up there. So probability would be fairly high that whatever this vulnerability is, that that could occur. The impact is what really it would drive this is how many credit cards could be stolen. Or let's just say in this case, it was some number of them. And the price that as a company has to pay in this case, I'm assuming we're a credit card company of some sort, we're going to have to go out. We're going to have to issue, you know, uh, probably credit checking for people, send out a letter to everybody, replace credit cards and cost in there. And that's not insignificant. But let me compare that to... Let's assume that a bad actor in the risk of this case is that you get ransomware. Or in other words, a bad actor gets into your system, takes control of your whatever your key assets are, and locks down all of your key assets, your key applications, your key data, where you can't get to it. That essentially puts you out of business. Now, in the case there, I would say the risk of that latter ransomware is far greater than the risk of credit card loss. This is just one example you could give, but that's the kind of the things you have to wait. Now that I've decided that the ransomware may be a higher risk, what do I do next? The next thing I say is, well, how could that happen? So what's vulnerable? Is it my endpoint that people generally come through? So how secure is my endpoint? Do I need to invest there? If they get past my endpoint, What's what's sort of the, the, the next le- line of defense that I've got to focus on? And in today's time, that would be something most likely like a your active directory that contains basically all the credentials to all your people and their ability to access systems. If they get a- access to that, the 
then they, again, it makes the job of getting to everything in your entire company much easier. So I, from a risk-based perspective, I want to do things that in, from that example that would reduce the chance that I'm going to get ransomware. And at the same time, it doesn't mean I'm ignoring the credit card issues because that's just good foundational security. But again, you have to prioritize things. That's the way I, my mind would work. And you would actually document that in writing typically. Right. So from a cybersecurity perspective, you say, okay, here's, here are all the risks that from a cyber perspective that we would be concerned about. Here's how, here's the priority ranking uh, that I have for these different risks and why. Uh, And then for, I'm just thinking of this out loud for the top, you know, the top 50% or the top 25%, you list out what the mitigations are to those risks. Is that what you would do? And then yeah, you definitely want to know. Through. Yeah, you would definitely want to already say because some of these you may have control. Let's go back to our ransomware example. Let's say, oh, our endpoint security, we have that covered. It's a we've done a great job of it. So we probably don't need to focus more attention there. But you might want to still focus on the next layer of your defense, which would be your Active Directory to sort of block that down. Make sure is it does it have vulnerabilities in it? Uh, do people have too much access to it? All the normal things. So that's how I would uh, approach it. And what we're talking about here is the the category, at least as Gartner has defined it, of identity threat detection and response. So focusing on protecting the identity systems that perform the foundation of what is really modern security architecture. Yeah. And I, I think that's, and you've got a lot of support for that today. Uh, just that, given that example is I think almost everyone I talk to today uh, is in agreement that identity is the key going into 2023, 2024, maybe even to 2025. Perimeter security is great. It's your network security and all that, but your perimeter has almost been blown up with the ability to let people from everywhere outside of your network in. So identity it really does become your endpoint in a lot of ways. And thus, you need to protect those identity systems, um, either from people maliciously taking control of people's identities or from the entire identity system being shut down. And most people don't realize that. And I'm actually guilty of this in my past lives is I never focused on the identity system being not available because if it's not available, no one can get virtually any application or any function within the entire company, which really puts you out of business. And uh, guess what? The bad guys know this. Right. So we're really talking about two different aspects uh, of attacking an identity system. The first is using it as a pathway to get to assets they want, they want data, uh, you know, databases, a line of business applications, you know, the old truism, they don't break in, they log in. And, yeah. and the second is, um, literally crippling the company uh, just by crippling the identity system that everybody depends upon? Yeah, I think those are two very, very valid ones. And they're certainly, they're at the high end of my risk focus for this coming this, these coming years, because that's what the bad guys are going after. Look at over 90 some percent of the hacks that have happened that have been documented and reported on involve an identity system in some way or shape or form. So it's just logical that we've got to focus on those. Well, and 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 that's also that's the core of what uh, the double extortion uh, 
type of ransomware is where you first um, <clears throat> uh, exfiltrate valuable data, which you can then extort and then encrypt uh, some or, or, or all or as much as you can uh, of the company. Uh, yeah. Being the second, the second one. Not a lot of honors among thieves, so the, the the concept of that double extortion is not unreasonable. And you actually would be, in my perspective, you would be unreasonable to think that they're not going to do that. Right, right. Or, uh, for that matter, to come back and extort you uh, in the future for your. And that's why a lot of people are choosing not to pay ransoms these days if they can recover, but that's so dependent on your, can you recover? If you can't recover without it, or that recovery period is so long that it essentially puts you out of business anyway, permanently, then you have no choice but to pay it. So again, from a risk perspective, your goal is to minimize that outage time. Either you want to prevent something catastrophic like that ransomware from happening. And if it does happen, you want to minimize the damage that it does. In other words, how quickly can you get back up? And using that theory or those that premise to base where you're going to invest in security, I think would be incredibly prudent this year. I see. I see. And I, I suppose also that that figures downstream too in assessing, okay, let's suppose we do get successfully attacked, figuring out ahead of time what we're going to do about it, uh, which actually is a perfect uh, lead in uh, to ask you about cyber insurance. Um, it keeps keeps moving around. We keep learning more. The ins- the industry seems to keep learning more. Should cyber insurance be a priority? Yeah. Uh, my personal feeling, and this is personal, is that I, I think you need cyber insurance. It's just like at your, at your home where you live. You take care of maintenance on your house. You lock the doors. You've got cameras, but you still have insurance. It's layers of defense that you want there just in case. And I don't think it's any different when it comes to a company and needing cyber insurance. First of all, a whole lot of your customers might demand that you have it. Uh, Your regulators may demand that you have it. So it may be a moot point anyway, but cyber insurance, I think, has its place. Um, Now, everyone today seems to be up at arms that, well, my rates are going through the roof. Um, And none of us should really be surprised at that from my perspective. It's the average claim has gone from a couple of years ago to hundreds of thousands, and now it's measured in millions or tens of millions potentially even. So if the cost that the insurance is having to pay is going up, you have to expect that your uh, your premiums are going to go up a bit, maybe even go up a whole lot. Um, now, what the right balance of that is, should you self-insure, should you not buy insurance, you, all these things, every company's got to make their own mind up. But again, in general, I think the it sends the right message to a whole lot of people if you actually do have cyber insurance. And I think it's something you should should focus on. Um, if you choose to go the cyber insurance route, you've got to do it correctly, though. And that's the part that I think a whole lot of people are, they try to gloss over because typically today when you get a, you go to apply to get cyber insurance, you're going to have to fill out a questionnaire on what your security posture is. And they'll ask you a questions like, do you encrypt data? You got to be careful answering those things like that today, because if you just answer yes, the assumption is, is you are encrypting all important data to your company. If you were to have a breach and it had something to do with encryption data and you find out that, well, the piece that got stolen wasn't encrypted, guess what? The insurance company may deny you that. 
because you lied to them in their mind. You did not weren't truthful to them. So if you're going to go the insurance route, put the effort in to correctly answer. Don't answer yes or no questions. Put details as to what you mean when you say yes or no. And I could go through tons of examples like that, but it's very, very important that you do that. Otherwise, you're investing, spending money in something that you may not get a return on if you need it. Uh, that's really quite interesting because, of course, the question of whether or not you encrypt is a very complicated question. And it's not a it's not a Boolean. It's not a yes or no type of an answer. So you <laughs> and it's a it's, it's frankly, it's a it's a pretty naive question. Yeah. And they ask a lot of questions. They'll ask, do you use MFA, multi-factor authentication? Most of us do use it. But again, what they're really asking is, are you using it on critical systems that you care about? So when you answer that question, you can hit yes, but then you need in in the notes below, write a paragraph on what you do cover and not. Then if they cover you, still, they're aware of it already and they haven't disagreed. So your odds are much better of getting reimbursed. This is something that you've taught me in in answering customer questionnaires and other related matters where what they're really asking is, okay, where my data is, are you do you have these safeguards? You know, the stuff that I care about is my company data. So it's but as you say, to explain it. They're worried about the exact same things. The insurance companies are worried about exactly what you should be worried about your critical assets, the things that matter that hurt your business if you you lose them. You're not into insurance to make money. You're there to get protection and some remuneration if or to you know to compensate you if if you do experience it. So I think it's a uh, it's an area that I think cyber has to get more involved with. Obviously legal's involved in all this as well, but again, I think it is something that we all need to be thinking about pretty pretty carefully. Insurance is important. Well, I suppose one benefit of it is that you could use that to um, bolster your security posture by saying, look, this is what this is what, uh, as you have said, they're asking more and more. They didn't used to. But as this field matures, they're they're not dummies in this in this area anymore. Gloss over stuff. Yeah, they do a lot of research every time they pay out claims. So they're following the trend. So if they're if they're asking you about multi-factor for the first time, that probably means there's a, a threat vector there that you ought to be focused on. So you can I think you're dead on, Sean, that you could use that as a tool. What they ask that's new, use that as a tool to maybe where you focus your security efforts. Right. But they're there you could you could argue that they're doing your own security research for you because that you you know where their interest lies. Well, it, it, in looking at that, then what about as you as we talk about the things that are on top of mind for cybersecurity? I mean, cyber insurance. What about third parties? Third party risk. Where does that fit in both um, both your budgeting um, and I guess areas to be focusing on for next year. Historically, I think, especially to larger companies, they had whole teams of people that would go and focus on the third parties. You know, which one of them held our data, which one of them processed our data. And, and again, you would somehow prioritize those, you know, most companies that out there have thousands of vendors and you can't possibly get to all of them. But what I think has changed now is security is having to get involved in today's realm of cyber insurance, especially if the third party has access into your systems 
or has access to your data or does some kind of processing for you. Any of those really triggers a risk potentially where you have to look at, well, if they get impacted, how does that impact our company? Could they, and again, it could be from the historical, what we worried about historically way back is all we worried about with third parties was really is if they couldn't provide what they were supposed to provide, can we still do our operations? In other words, if someone supplied a widget that was critical to building what we build and we couldn't get that widget, how does that impact our business? Today in a digital front, we're really, from a security person's perspective, we're worried about something very different. Worried about them having access into our systems and they have a breach that ends up being us having a breach. Or they have access to our data that gets stolen or corrupted or something like that. So we have to find, uh, one, I think most security teams have to find, put some investment into third party. It's just too big of a risk. And way too many of the biggest breaches are, have been occurred because of third parties. But the key is you have to have the ability to narrow that down because there's no way we'll build a team big enough to fo focus on every vendor that's out there. So you have to have a way to say which ones could cause the most harm and then focus some security efforts on that. And I keep emphasizing security efforts because a lot of the teams that do the normal assessments or audits of the third parties, they're great generalists, but they don't have the depth of security to know if something really is a risk to the company or not. And that's where we as security professionals have to get involved. So I think we certainly need to be devoting some effort to it, but it's critical that we bifurcate that population to where we only focus on those that really invest a lot because we can't invest everything in all of our time just in third parties. So what you're saying is do a risk analysis of all of your third parties uh, prioritized by their access to sensitive data, either controlled data, customer data. Uh, and then from there, um, in, in a large company, at least, you'll have you have teams that do third party risk assessment of other types. But we're specifically talking about cyber risk assessments. Right. Always question I asked is the is the companies that I, I've talked about third party. I asked them, have you ever denied a new vendor because they they're a security risk? It's amazing how few companies have ever can say that. Well, no, we actually this was too risky. We chose not to go with them. <clears throat> so that's it. It's just human nature. I mean, you you find a new toy, a new tool, a new whatever that you like. That widget's shiny, and you want to go to it. You want it and you don't think about security that much or you can always try to rationalize that we have to have it. And uh, even in small companies, I think that happens a lot. And you you really do need to have a voice that is loud enough in this space to where you can at least challenge it and make sure that someone is accepting that risk, not ignoring it. Well, and as you say, it is human nature that, you know, people go off and they pick it and they think feel that it meets meets all their their needs and Typically, uh, security is not on that examination list, and not not high on the list when they are. You know, you, you're trying to run the business, and I get that, but it's still in today's times it could be too much risk. It's just plain using this vendor could be too risky if they're just too small or they just don't have controls. If they if if you can't verify they have any controls, and you're about to let them have access into your critical systems, you got to really think hard about that. Right. Or, or in the other direction, the, something that I often think about is when, uh, as an organization, you're examining third parties uh, 
uh, let's third-party SaaS uh, applications. And does that application support single sign-on to use your identity provider? And so you don't have to create separate accounts for provisioning and importantly, deprovisioning when a user terminates. Uh, And, you know, the dialogue always seems to go, oh, here's this great new toy. All right. Does it have SSO? Either A, well, A is hopefully yes. B is uh, yes, but it is the a uh, ferociously expensive enterprise version, which, uh, and of course, C, no, it doesn't have it. I think you have to think about those type of things fairly hard. And also how hard does it, if it integrates with the rest of your systems, the security systems, like say monitoring, then you can keep an eye, a better eye on them, which by the way, is the fundamental rule of any time you're outsourcing a process of any sort, Never outsource the control with the process, but keep the control internal to your company so you can watch the people that you have hired to do something for you. Does that make sense? It makes excellent sense because the, the, if you didn't think about it, the default would be, oh, no, that's okay. We have our own monitoring systems. We'll let you know if anything goes wrong. Somehow the chicken in the hen house or the fox in the hen house kind of comes up. That kind of thing. You you do need to separate the operations from the controls always, and that's a hard thing to do at times. Uh, but that, to me, is a one of the critical security functions you have to do with third, especially third parties, where you're outsourcing a component of your operations. So much of it seems to go back to protecting identities, really. So um, it's you know it's easy to go down a rabbit hole here for. Oh, here's the latest exploit. Oh, here's the latest thing that Lockbit did. Um, you know, it's it's easy to get worked up over that and try to think of okay, how am I going to protect against this? How am I going to protect against that? What's what's your thinking on this? How much should we be focusing on the latest and novel? You know, as you're trying to do budgeting and you're trying to prepare for these things, how much should you be paying attention to the latest and greatest? First of all, you got to understand your team, and typically they love new shiny risks and new shiny uh, tools that fix those risks, always. So there's just a natural predisposition, I'll call it, to that. Uh, For me, I always step back a bit, and I'm not saying we don't focus on the latest and greatest threats that are out there, but what I would always say is, are you doing the fundamentals right before you get to the esoteric and the uh, the more less used, I'll call it, or the most novel risks that are or breach attack vectors that are out there today. And it, I think it's important that we really do focus on that because I've been doing the security stuff for 30 some years now. And if I go back 30 some years to the mainframe days, what were we focused on? We were focused on too much access. We were focused on poor coding that puts out risks. We were worried about vulnerabilities in the uh, codes that uh, that are out there. And guess what? Those are still three of the top things we have today. So by and large, I would say that most companies still, you need to get the basics fixed. And when I say fixed, I mean fixed from end to end. They need to be automated so they can be monitored after you fix them so they don't get bad again. Then you can start worrying about all these little esoteric ones. Because I will tell you one thing, the bad guys they're not going to use their sophisticated black belt attack vector if they can get away with 
using the uh, the child's version of a script kitty or something like that that's out there and not and not have to waste one of their good ones. Right. Yeah. You're saying if I, if I've got some some gnarly new exploit. Uh, let's not, uh, let's not reveal that I have it if I don't have to, if I can just get in by knocking on the door and, you know, and slipping, slipping right in. Yeah. Somebody has not changed the ad default admin password that comes with the software. That's the first thing everyone's going to go to because it's easy. Uh, and it's amazing how often that is the case still. Yeah. Yeah. The more things, how does that uh, cliche go? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Stay the same. But with that said, there's still, there are new vulnerabilities that are identified that are just so critical in the entire industry of security or the entire industry of all companies that you do have to address them quickly. I'm not suggesting that isn't the case. I'm just saying that your team is going to come up with a lot of new cool things to do and just make sure you're doing the basics right because uh, investing a lot of money in the cool new stuff might get you a return, but I can guarantee you'll get a return on investment doing the fundamentals better. Well, and actually you played right back into the fundamentals because one of the fundamentals is promptly patching your systems. <laughs> so so uh, we, we roll right into that. Thank you, Jim. This has been a great discussion, great learnings about you know risk analysis, uh, how to budget, how budget priorities and what to really care about. I think uh, our listeners will find it very valuable. Well, hopefully as they start to think about their budget and they're probably already in the midst of this, although there's probably some tweaking to be done, Really focus on, on in a talk to the board, talk to your board, talk to your senior executives about why you're doing what you're doing, why you're focused on this versus that, uh, and make it in business terms. Don't make it in techie terms. They don't get techie. They don't care about techie. What they care about is can they continue to run the systems that generate money and profit and success for their business or to treat patients in the highest quality way, or you could go through every industry that's out there, but that's where you got to, you got to convert it to business terms always. That's good advice for pretty much everybody in IT. It's very easy to be isolated and just think about your own little space, but always in the back of your mind, how does this affect the business? How does it, how does it change as for the security people? How do, how does it change in the security landscape, some control that you're making, how does that affect the business? That's, that's, that's a question you should always be asking yourself. It's all pragmatic and common sense to a large extent, but it's, it's a whole lot easier to talk about it than to actually do it. And that's where you've got to really step back and, and also get, you know, get your boss on board with that concept. Um, I, they, most, most of the senior executives and even the board members, they understand risk. And if you can convert it to business risk terms, they will likely have a much lot more likely chance of understanding than agreeing with you. And then also when you say you're going to do something, make sure you deliver on it. Don't, don't say, well, we almost did this, or we've tried to do this, or we got distracted. Uh, that's the other thing I think you really have to, people are, are judging us and what we do and what we say and do we follow up on what we do. Uh, that's sage advice, Jim. And and for the for the people listening, I think didn't you say your your last large organization you had eight hundred people report to you? So you had someone on, you're listening to someone that's been on the other side of that. So now you know uh, now you've got the inside information. Thanks again, Jim. Great conversation. Sounds great, Sean. Take care. 
Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.